instead of trying to write something in modern day, like the newsroom about like, you know, humanism and whatever <laughs> humanism or whatever, whatever Aaron Sorkin thinks he's writing, just gets to like basically dissecting an asshole. And I don't mean that graphically. I, I mean the, the character. <laughs> Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, Sam. there is. An infallible way. They won. What's well, a casino? People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot. Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter, fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey, you were over the line, that's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Hello there, everybody, and welcome into episode 38 of Film Tank. My name is Alex Diekman, and on this episode, we're going to be discussing the Danny Boyle film, Steve Jobs. Woo! I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I was just inspired, and there it was. <laughs> Nobody's excited. I am. For, and we'll, we'll get into that when we talk about the, the film in a little bit. Uh, the other two voices you hear are Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hello. I am a Macintosh. That was that was kind of embarrassing for the Macintosh voice, so but it was a good try. God damn it, you took my <laughs> intro again. Well let's hear you do it better. Hello. No. No, that like that wasn't even trying, at least <laughs> at least I put effort. Whatever. No. Well we'll 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 say effort, I guess. I think we'll say it was an, an effort. This is coming from the guy who just went, woo! Hey, you know what? I owned it, so it was something. At least I, I gave my Can full you really ever He own? had end-to-end control of that intro. Nobody else could tamper with it. I like it. That was good. See, that What was, the fuck? That was something good from Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going Standards to get into Standards are Steve. too low. Well, it, it is this show, so... Get ready the... for our... During our feature review, you're going to hear a lot of closed circuit metaphors from this guy over yeah, here. Yeah, I know. You've already been planning them out. So yeah. we're looking forward to them. Let me let me promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to our uh, Steve Jobs review, uh, we have had our uh, mailbag getting a little bit uh, full as uh, we have a, a few... <laughs> Uh, emails from listeners, which we always appreciate, uh, to send those along to FilmTankShow at gmail.com. And uh, the first two are top six reviews that uh, listeners have sent in from our top six revenge episode. 
uh, which came out about a month ago. So the first is from a, a new uh, listener who uh, her name is Samantha, and uh, she sent in uh, this, which she said, "Hi, Film Tank. I just discovered your podcast on Twitter, and uh, so you're the one. Yeah, <laughs> you're Ser- the one. Seriously, we don't don't have a lot of traffic on Twitter, <laughs> and we also uh, have not been doing that many updates on Twitter recently. So no." But but that's great that that that, that uh, has led a listener to our show. So uh, thank you very much, Samantha, for finding us on there and listening. Uh, she asked a uh, a question about the uh, James Bond series and asked if we we've ever considered uh, doing an episode on the James Bond series, especially with Spectre coming out. Um, like to hear some thoughts on that, including who is the best Bond, who is the best Bond girl, um, that kind of thing. And uh, to answer her question, uh, I think. Perhaps someday we'll do an episode that's more detailed into Bond, and, and probably I don't know how we'd set it up, but I'm guessing we would do it by who was playing Bond, perhaps. Yeah, like a like a not like a top I mean, you six wanna, necessarily. You don't want to tackle every single Bond film in uh, in one episode. That's way too much. Probably not. Okay, well, there's quite a few. Dream a little bigger. Well, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know it would be. You know, it would be a lot easier to just do the Roger Moore James Bond films in an episode, I would think. I agree. So, uh, perhaps someday we'll do that. Although, next week, on uh, episode 39, we will be reviewing Spectre, the new James Bond film. And probably, just by nature of reviewing it, we'll be talking about Daniel Craig's tenure, I would think, as far as in general, too. In all likelihood, uh, he's had, this will be his fourth outing, and so far, for the most part, the general opinion is two up, one down. So That's right. We'll yeah. see what the Skyfall uh, was a massive piece of shit. <laughs> what? Just kidding. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the the middle one of the first three is the one that people generally uh, did not care for, and uh, we'll see what uh, Spectre brings. And uh, we'll again have that information next week on our episode thirty nine. But to answer her question again, uh, perhaps someday we'll be doing a more in depth uh, James Bond episode. So she also gave a uh, top six list of her top six uh, revenge films. She did not give an order, uh, but she gave these films. They were Kill Bill Volume 2, Gladiator, which I uh, I was happy because I, uh, I mentioned mm-hmm. that as uh, one of my... Yeah. Um, Runner-ups? Yeah, yeah. There you go. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I didn't even think of, which is a, a really good uh, answer. Yeah. Uh, Enough, The First Wives Club, and Memento. All right, Memento. Yeah. That was in my list. It was, and the, the first Wives Club too. Uh, I, I have to say that's not one I would have thought of at all, uh, but I do think that is a good answer because yeah. uh, that is a very interesting film, mostly because it is very quirky when you watch it, um, but it also uh, does have a very somewhat good message about women uh, and also not just being a wife and actually being a person. I've never seen it. Yeah, I I actually do think you would enjoy it, Nick. I will have to seek it out. It has, um, what's his name? The guy, for some reason, we always uh, find, and, and we, we like him so much, and I always forget his name. It's the guy who plays Thomas Andrews in Titanic, and uh, mm. he's just in Sicario. Um, he plays in Argo. Josh Brolin. Oh, you mean uh, Victor Garber? Yes. Yes, uh, yes that's yes. right. Victor Garber is yes, in the First great. Wives Club. Yeah, he is, and he is great in this film as well. He's Sidney Bristow's father on Alias. Come on, that's his most well-known role. 
never watched Alias. Never seen an episode of Alias. Did you say so... never watch Alias? Like a, I've, like nev- a, I've never like watched. Like a warning? Th- th- that's not a, a, oh. a definitive. Said, I never watched. I have never watched Alias, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like never watched Alias. That's okay. I've never seen an episode Everybody either, so. should watch it all the way up until the end of season two and then just stop. <laughs> Good to know. I feel like you have that uh, sort of that sort of addendum to most television shows. You should watch it up until season three and I mean, then it's like, no more. It's 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 a weird double edged sword because like myself, I I'm a you know I'm a completionist, so I will always continue. To, it might take me forever, whatever. But like, I never want to just tell somebody to watch this show and just completely ignore the elephant in the room that like like a showrunner gets fired at the end of season four, like in The West Wing, or you know, like where shows go through dramatic uh, shifts in either tone. You or should quality. watch Firefly, but you should stop right towards the end of season one. That's so funny because Firefly only had one season. I know. Uh, got a class clown over here. Yeah. So moving on. Go to the principal's office. Uh, <laughs> Alex Smith, uh, who has uh, sent us uh, some things before. Yeah, he sent us our uh, bloodline question. I remember that. And we did a full episode on that. We did. Uh, he sent in another top six uh, revenge list. Uh, and his list uh, was in order, starting with number six. It was uh, the movie May, which I've never heard of. Neither have I. Leon the Professional was number Ooh, five. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the original Carrie was number four. That's right. I always forget about that element. Yeah. As far as like that, that is a revenge film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That counts. Definitely. Uh, the original Last House on the Left was number two. Mm-hmm. And Old Boy was number one. Old Boy. Old Boy. What you gonna do? He says uh, that he would certainly uh, have included Kill Bill and John Wick, but they were mentioned a few times, so we opted to replace them with The Wrath of Khan and The Professional. Well, we appreciate you uh, throwing a little variety in there. For sure. Those are all good films. And at the end of uh, that email, Alex also... Uh, asked uh, if we would uh, possibly be interested in doing a sole episode on the film The Thing, which yeah. I, I think Toussaint would uh, say Absolutely. yes to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, well... That it, would definitely, I think, be a good film if we get to it, uh, to do in like January when we're like in the middle of winter and whatnot, considering that's literally... That's the perfect film to yeah. do that. You know? It's kind of like why I watch The Shining in like January. I mean, I watch it around Halloween, too, if I catch it in the theater, mm-hmm. but whenever I get in the mood to watch it, it's usually like in a, during a winter storm. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, yeah, I think January and February and, and even in March, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, we've talked about already films we were thinking we were going to put out there and we've thought about doing episodes on them right now. And we've pretty much decided we're going to table that because especially now when there are so many things that we like, we have, uh, we have Steve jobs, we have, uh, Hunger Games coming up. We have Spectre, Star Wars, and, and then Star yeah, Wars yeah. and uh, the Revenant. We're going to do an episode on. So, oh, we are. <laughs> oh, I guess you're the class clown. Uh, yeah. The movie I've been looking forward to the most all year. So, oh, that's right. I, I was joking. Of course, we're gonna do it. Guy's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to this uh, week's uh, review, which is uh, the Danny Boyle film Steve Jobs, which stars Michael Fassbender. Also, Kate Winslet, Seth Rogen, Jeff Daniels, Michael Stolberg, uh, Catherine Waterston, and a uh, uh, bunch of other players involved in this as well. And uh, also, something you definitely have to mention when you talk about this film is that the screenplay was written by Aaron Sorkin, uh, who does, for the most part, fantastic work and delivered yet again on Steve Jobs. What if the computer 
was a beautiful object, something you want to look at and have in your home. And what if, instead of it being in the right hands, it was in everyone's hands? We'd be talking about the most tectonic shift in the status quo since... Ever. I'm begging you to manage expectations. Have I ever let you down? Every single goddamn time. <laughs> then I'm due. Your Apple stock is worth $441 million. And your daughter and her mother are on welfare. She's not my daughter! You must be able to see that she looks like you. We will know soon enough if you were Leonardo da Vinci or just think you are. You're the only one who sees the world the same way I do. No one sees the world the same way you do. Everyone is waiting for the Mac. What are people going to do with it? It's an abstract. We're going to do that. You're issuing contradictory instructions. You're insubordinate. You make people miserable. The board believes you're no longer necessary to this company. I sat in a garage and invented the future. Because artists lead and hacks ask for a show of hands. What you make isn't supposed to be the best part of you when you're a father. That's what's supposed to be the best part of you. I'm the only one who knows that this guy is someone you invented. Is there a plan? The plan will reveal itself to you when you're ready to see it. Co-founder Stephen Jobs. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is returning to Apple. Two most significant events of the 20th century. The Allies win the war, and this. Ladies and gentlemen. Steve Jobs. If you don't know anything about the film, uh, the film centers around Steve Jobs. Who is? If you honestly don't know, that might be a problem. Some people might not know. Steve Jobs, who uh, was a, a major part of Apple uh, throughout uh, time, he started off with it being involved with it when they started. Yes. And uh, he then eventually was not involved with them anymore and then came back and then was a, a major player, obviously, when... Came uh, back to be the CEO. Right. And was uh, then they were... When, when they became... Like the the company, then he was the major part of that, and was the face also of yes. Apple. Uh, For and sure. uh, he, uh, yeah, had a very uh, interesting past. Um, so, and that gets outlined in this film. And basically, this film centers around three scenes and three different product launches. Not all of them are for Apple, too, which I think uh, is is interesting. When you go into this film, you're thinking they're going to all be Apple products, and they were not. Uh, and uh, they center around these three scenes, and basically, uh, we get his life and what's happening with his life at the time uh, in these three major scenes of this uh, film. So that's basically what Steve Jobs is. And um, would you guys mind if I started off? As, yeah, I would. Uh, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Usually Nick starts us off, but I, I thought I'd jump in because um, I, I wanted to, to mention a couple things about uh, this film and just film in general as I was starting off. That recently, and I've, I've had this before and I've kind of like, you know, rallied back. Um, but recently when I've been watching films, um, I have not been feeling like I'm enjoying them as much as I should be. Mm. So I'll sit and I'll watch something and I, it'll just be there and I'll just be watching it and thinking, uh, I'm not getting as much out of this as I, I really want. And I, I really started to question if like I was just like watching too many movies 
That or, can never be the case. Well, I know you would you would argue against that. Is I feel like I've watched 180 <clears throat> films this year, me personally, and you have more than double of what I've watched. I'm about uh, I'm roughly 10 films away from one a day. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm almost <laughs> at 365 for the year. That is a high number. Yeah. Boom. Uh, but for me though, I personally, when I went to go see new movies, even movies that I liked, like Bridge of Spies, when I was watching it, I was just thinking, man, this is just, this is just there. And I, I'm not getting as much out of this as I I, I thought I should. So it's a Spielberg film. (laughs) (laughs) But it it wasn't just that one. It was a lot of new films and a lot of older films too. And I, I was just really just like not feeling it with some films, even if I liked it. And I went to see this film for the first time last night, and I've only, I've only seen it the once, but first time in the theater, uh, and you know what? It was definitely just the films I was seeing, because I saw this film, Steve Jobs, and wow, man, this like got me so excited about films again, just because of the way the film was made, uh, the kind of content it had, and the absolutely fantastic writing and delivery of the lines that it had in the film. And man, I I'm just all the way back, like totally excited about going to see movies now, and it's 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 great. That's I'm very that's happy a table slapper right there. I know it, it it was it was well deserved. So what about Steve Jobs? Did you respond to? So the the major thing about Steve Jobs that got me so interested in in, in this film and kept me interested in throughout, which is very important because a lot of films. And, and not just, you know, these kind of films, which are dialogue-driven films, but a lot of films can get you interested in the start and then lose you halfway through and then maybe get you back by the climax of the film. And I thought that this was going to be very similar where I was going to be interested early on and be a little bored, you know, throughout the middle and then at the end get interested again maybe. Steve Jobs, when it starts out, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a dialogue film, going to be a lot of talking, there's going to be some boring parts where I'm going to sit there and maybe look at my watch even. And man, this entire film just had me on the edge of my seat with the way the dialogue was driven throughout the characters. And it developed the characters so well, even though we only see them, for the most part, on three separate days of their lives uh, and even though there are some flashbacks that are shown in throughout, they're and like sprinkled echoes in. of flashbacks. For the most it's part, not yeah. even like you actually get to settle into any of them. You just like see it as they're already talking about it. Right, and really the only one that's even extended for longer than like five seconds is the uh, original part of Waz and Steve uh, arguing about if there was going to be eight slots or not on yeah. uh, the original computer. If it yeah. was going to be an open system or a closed system. Right, which is another you know, another major argument that is played out throughout the film. And I I think that that was, that was a thing for me that, that really did it is that this film kept the dialogue and the characters interesting throughout. And I never felt a lull throughout the entire film. And I, I, someone could argue that and I could, I could see an argument for that. But for me personally, I was right there, very interested throughout the entire film. And this film also just somehow uh, was able to, have a narrative even though it really shouldn't have like it should not have had as strong of a narrative as it had but it still kept the story and it kept a perfect three-act structure even with just the three scenes and it really well one might say each scene was an act I, yes that's what oh. i was in 
that's what I was kind of getting at. But, oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. <laughs> but however, this film really told a full story throughout just showing three long scenes. And that is just a huge credit to both the writing and also the acting, both of which were absolutely fabulous in this film. I mean, Michael Fassbender is putting on the performance of a career, in my opinion, in this film. He absolutely owned the role of Steve Jobs and didn't even get, you know, tossed into doing some sort of weird impersonation, as you mentioned, Nick, that he wasn't trying to do his voice. I mean, yeah, he looked like like him, especially in the, in the third scene, uh, we, the, the modern Steve Jobs that we would see. But he played the role and acted the role and just did such an incredible job with line deliveries, with timing. It was almost perfect. Almost like, in fact, I would say his his portrayal was perfect for me. Michael Fassbender put on one of the better performances I can remember in years of, of anybody. And he just knocked it out of the park. And so many of the supporting characters were perfect for their roles. I mean, Michael Stolberg was an absolute perfect choice. Seth Rogen as Waz was, was honestly incredible. Absolutely, yeah. For and me, that, he that was, was the standout. I was wondering how you were going to react to that, Alex, because I know you're not always a fan of, like, the the actor. I know it's not, like, an Apatow movie, but those actors, like, branching out, unless they're, like, doing something like, like The Wolf of Wall Street where Jonah Hill gets to be, a, yeah. you know, a crazy whatever. But, but Seth Rogen played the character correctly, and he did a fantastic yeah. job with it. And he was never... He, he, I never felt like he was trying to be funny when he was trying, which is, for the most part, he's having two major arguments with Steve in the first and the third act of the film. And it gets really heated in the, and very uncomfortable in the third act of the film because it's yeah. a very public uh, discussion that they're having, an argument that they're having. And, man, he is just, just owning the shit out of that role, and he just did a phenomenal job with His it. casting was a, uh, a wonderful kind of, like, uh, secret weapon because he did end up, I would think, you know, bringing it during the dramatic scenes. But because he's also Seth Rogen, like... Did he, the quirky part of it, too. The quirky part, but just, like, the, he, he knows comedy and, like, how long to make certain things last. So, like, when he's showing him the watch, you know, like, not every actor could have made that, as funny as it is, where he doesn't even have to say anything. He's just fidgeting with his watch. And, and, and that's classic <laughs> Steve Wozniak, like if you know anything about the guy, he's so jovial and he's so open-minded to like trying to like push forward like new technology. And it's like he's 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 probably like I don't know him. Like to me on 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 the out really? on, on the outside, like he's always struck me as like being one of the nicest guys in Silicon Valley. Yeah, so. I and mean, that's definitely I think what kind of pretty much came through here. Like the only time he you know became unpleasant was when. He had to raise his voice. Well, like when Steve Jobs, I would the character, I'll say, uh, you know, like basically forced him to. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, was there more you wanted to say? General. Well, the, in terms of general, I have a lot of other smaller opinions. I will say that for me, uh, the standout scene of of the film and the standout scene of the year so far, even better than the uh, Oscar Isaac dancing scene from Ex Machina. Wow, which was amazing for a totally different reason. Was. But the scene involving Jeff Daniels and Michael Fassbender in the uh, the second part of the film was fantastic. Just the framing of um, of that scene where they're like in the Just hallway the with fra- the chairs. The framing, the pacing, the going in between that discussion and showing what led to this yeah. and, and two separate things with that. Um, I just ate that up the entire time. And there's another person who was absolutely fantastic in this film was Jeff Daniels who who played his character 
terrifically too. And I, I just was fascinated by that scene. And for the most part, even though I don't necessarily think that some of the other scenes were as good as that one, the rest of the film delivered throughout. And I just thought this was a fabulous film. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, especially about that Jeff Daniels scene. I don't know if it holds a candle to Big Dick Richie's <laughs> dancing in a convenience store, but it's definitely up there. Yeah. <laughs> Another different kind of great scene. <laughs> well, should I, should I get yeah, my go opinion? Yeah, go ahead, Nick. So I, uh, obviously both of you are very familiar with uh, some of my particular tastes, like when you give me a movie of people in a room talking and nothing else. So mm -hmm. naturally, yeah. I was predisposed to like this movie, mm -hmm. and I, I did, and for many different reasons. I mean, I love Aaron Sorkin uh, when he's good. The um, uh, the West Wing and Sports Night are uh, two of the greatest shows, particularly because of his writing. Then in television, he kind of fell off the wagon on knowing what made him good. But this recent trend where he's been writing movies about these very flawed tech geniuses are uh, have been right back to what makes him good again. Because instead of trying to write something uh, in modern day, like the newsroom, about like, you know, humanism and whatever. <laughs> humanism or whatever. Whatever Aaron Sorkin thinks he's writing. Like, when he stops moralizing and just gets to like, you know, like basically dissecting an asshole, and I don't mean that graphically, I, I mean the, the character, <laughs> um, and what makes him tick, like, then he's back, he's he's back to what he does best, and especially in the tech world, I think between this and the social network, like, those two scripts are completely, or not those scripts, but, like, those two universes, uh, whether it's creating a website or, in this case, you know, creating a tech company, are so well paired with his uh, with with his style of walk and talks and uh, phrase repetition that um, that's where this style really fits in. So, Can I ask you a question really yes. quickly while we're, while we're talking about the topic? Yeah. Did you think, and it's hard because you've only seen this film twice, and I don't know how many times you've seen The Social Network... <laughs> Do you feel like this script was better than the Social Network script? Uh, no, I don't. Because, but it's also two different. Like, the Social Network is a lot more like I would say, plot heavy. Like, this is a lot more a character study mm -hmm. than the Social Network was. Even though the Social Network is a pretty brilliant, in my opinion, character study, but um, because we're only confined to these three, uh, you know days and also to this one character and how he relates to each and every whatever i don't know that i like it's hard to say because I, I pretty much love them both as far as script wise uh but i think the social network has a lot more to say like about a lot of things like this is a fantastic biopic um and which is another genre that i actually like usually hate so that's probably another reason why i re really responded to this one but um I think the social network says so much about like Mark Zuckerberg, the character, I'll say not the person because I never want to pretend like that these movies should be taken at face value mm -hmm. for the real life counterparts or whatever. But I think it has so much to say about that whole debacle of like Facebook, or whatever. And then on top of it says so much about our society and communication breakdowns and all that. Whereas this is really only concerned with Steve Jobs. Like all the stuff it has to say about technology and business is pretty surface level. Like we already know that like, you know, you, if you, you know, like the, you're going to be an asshole. Like it, it doesn't have the scope to, to support any lofty uh, business, I would say th theme, thematic material. And I appreciate that about it. I like that. No, it's actually like a, a microscope focus right. on a single person and their, 
attributes and flaws that made them who they were. I agree. That's why I love this movie, but it, it was missing the next logical step, which was to tie it to a macro you know, level. And the fact that it didn't doesn't mean that it's a worse movie because of it, but it doesn't affect me in the same way that like the, the social network does because okay. I get yeah. so much out of that movie compared to this where I get a lot out of it, but more on a immediate reaction and visceral level. Um, so this movie, let's try to think. Um, you were talking about Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, so... Yeah. Okay, so Aaron Sorkin's script. He's doing everything that he's always pretty much done mm-hmm. in spades, and uh, he's very good, and sometimes annoyingly so, at uh, like callbacks and whatnot. Like every time you somebody has a conversation about something you know mundane, you know that that's going to come back later, and always have like thematic relevance that it did uh, prior to you know uh, whatever's happening to these characters. He's in the so meantime. damn good at his job. <laughs> Fuck. Well, and. Um, <laughs> So the fact that this movie kept doing that, I, I was appreciative of that. Um, but it, the only thing I really have against this movie is Danny Boyle, I do not think, was the greatest choice to direct the script. wasn't the original choice. Yes, and I, I can kind of tell because for the most part, Danny Boyle himself is not a bad director. I, I don't not too taken with a lot of his films, but that's mostly on a script level. So here he's working with a script that I love because he didn't, you know, write this or uh, really pick it out himself because he was kind of attached to this after after the fact. Um, but he, what, what I hated about his direction in this movie, which only comes up like every so often, so for the most part it's totally fine and it works, is that every time it, it just doesn't pair well with a Sorkin script because every time he thought the audience would lose interest, he then had to throw fucking uh, images up on a wall that makes no sense as to like, because it's not like it's actually there. Like I, 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 quite, I quite literally don't understand the thought process behind some of the decisions he made. Like when uh, F- Michael Fassbender gives the speech about the space shuttle mm-hmm. in that hallway, and then he puts the oh yeah, and it's superimposed. Yeah, like, superimposed as, as, as the, though... the video footage of that uh, on the wall as if it's like happening on that screen, but it's also not really happening. Yeah, and that is the like the worst thing you can do uh, when you have a script that's as dense and as rapid fire as this. Because the minute I'm trying to follow, because Aaron Sorkin loves his like uh, you know anecdotes where mm-hmm. like somebody like will ask a question and instead of answering that question, somebody say. A long time ago, a man tried to make a spaceship. You know, like, like almost like seems like he's not answering the question, but really he's just going to answer it in a very long-winded way. Yeah. So I, I, maybe I'm just stupid, but the brainwaves it takes for me to follow, you know, an Aaron Sorkin monologue like that, I cannot also divide my time between trying to figure out what the fuck is happening behind Michael Fassbender's back <laughs> on a wall that just should not be there. And so it was kind of like every time Danny Boyle got restless in the director's chair and was like, look at me, I'm Mr. Beastiks. It was like, I direct, look, I actually contributed something to this movie. Can do. <laughs> that's, that's when I just got fucking pissed off because, it, you know, when you're directing, like, uh, I'll, I'll give a good example of when he stayed out of it but still directed it well. Like, there's a great scene in the beginning of the film where Fassbender is taking the elevator down and while that's happening, he's cross-cutting with the uh, full auditorium uh, and they're like, I think they're doing like the the wave or something, mm-hmm. like, you know, doing some stomp, yeah, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Like that kind of is great directing that I feel like I wouldn't you wouldn't have gotten from another director in that exact way or whatever. But that was an appropriate time because nobody was speaking, so you have to actually tell the story in a visual language. You, you don't need to do that when you have uh, when you have the script already laying out something that's you know you, you need to follow. And so every time he basically distracted from the script, I I, I just got 
pissed off, and I, he did it a few times. And if he'd only did it once, maybe, then I would have forgiven that one little whatever. But it was clear that by the end of the film, like there were little spots where he's like, well, why don't we just punch this up? We're like, ah, Mr. Boyle, do we really need... Yeah, we do, because it looks cool. And it was just like little <laughs> things like that that I, I just... They kind of pissed me off. But in general, I did love this movie. I pretty much agree with everything you've said, Alex, which is that the script is great and uh, all the performances across the board. And I'm a particular... Uh, fan of uh, Michael Stuhlberg's character as yeah. uh, Andy uh, Hersfeld. Yeah. Can't remember his last name. <laughs> I know. They got to change their names. That was, that was a good running joke. Yeah. Um, but I'm a, I really liked his subplot because I feel like his was almost like the stealth uh, like MVP of the movie for me because he it's all, like why he's important to this entire story is almost like kept under wraps until the final scene when you when he becomes directly involved uh, in the crossfires between Steve Jobs and his daughter which is probably the most prominent running storyline mm-hmm. throughout the whole film and so i just love that the combination of that with him, like uh writing the check for Harvard and like kind of basically getting to you know, dress down Steve Jobs and say, I, I never liked you, you know, without like it turning into like melodrama or anything mm-hmm. like that. And I, I just, I, I really liked the script. One thing I particularly liked about the script itself is that I love that uh, by the end of the film, it's kind of interesting if you take the four major players of of uh, Steve Jobs' life, which for me was, you know, the John Scully by Jeff Daniels, Andy Hertzfeld, uh the daughter, and, um, Steve Wozniak. If you take those four players, it's kind of interesting that it's divided right down the middle between who still has respect for him and who doesn't by the end of the film. And the two people that don't uh, have respect for him are the two people who are still working with him. And the two people that do, like John Scully and yeah. his daughter, mm-hmm. have cut off, or in the daughter's case, doesn't have to work with him. Or in John Scully's case... It's not John Scully. It's, uh, it's... Mike Scully. Are, are you thinking of Joanna Hoffman, Kate Winslet's character? I'm thinking of Jeff Daniels. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Then that's uh, that's John Scully. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> right back where we started. So, but um, because he had kind of, I, I will admit, because it is such a fast script, did they say that he forced John Scully out uh, because of a Newton, or did John Scully just quit before? Yeah, or did, or did I, Apple I think do John that? John Scully was fired by Apple before yeah. Steve right. it's not came like Steve back. Jobs came and in and Steve, said discontinue the product that he had right. launched them. Mm-hmm. But that says a lot that like because he no longer has to work with them, it's also he's at a good place with Steve, like professional not mm-hmm. professionally, but personally because, you know, he he comes to visit him after all the shit that they've been through, which well, is arguably he also had a very <clears throat> weird relationship with Steve because he basically suggested that he no longer work there and then Steve comes back and then he's so it's it's kind of one of those weird things where it's not like they had both done it to each other, but it seemed like they had more respect for each other than than anything. Well, I guess as far as like the the movies, you know, giving lines to like Fassbender saying things like that was the worst night of my life, like the the more traditional route would have been that like this character never would have forgiven, you know, like uh, uh, right John Scully. So I guess I'm just saying like after all the shit that they've been through, because I think that they've been through a lot of bad things Mm -hmm. it was just interesting that they're on better terms than like somebody like steve wozniak who is supposed to like steve jobs the character continually says things like oh i'll have his back no matter what and yet he never really lives up to that i don't think i I just so i find him to be a very fascinating because steve jobs was obviously as they show in the film 
just a very cutthroat individual who was always going to get his way, no matter really what. I mean, yes, he did give sometimes because he honestly just they that's what needed to be done with he things. Had to. Right. But at the same time though, when he made his mind up about something, he was not going to change his mind. Right. And I don't even think that's cutthroat. I think it's, he's just biopic. He mm-hmm. literally doesn't see outside of, you know, he has no peripheral vision because it's not because he does think out of when malice. I, when I say that it's cutthroat, I what I mean by that is that he like the consideration of what his what his decisions are further than what the decision is for the company does not come into account for him. He does not think, oh, well, Steve Wozniak is going to now, like, he's going to hold this against me in real life. He's only thinking, I'm not going to say that because of the fact that that is a fucking horrible idea for our company to say that. Right, right that's now. what I mean, like, by, by myopic versus cutthroat, because cutthroat implies that somebody is going out for blood, whereas, yeah. like, somebody who's, like, myopic means, like, they just can't see beyond their own, like, you know, rationale. Because when you have a scene, like, because that, that's the thing, and that's probably why I really enjoyed this portrayal of this character, of Steve Jobs, is that he was, like, the most, like, hypocritical person I think I've seen in cinema in so long, because... Like ninety nine percent of the things he says are correct. Like if you take them at like face value, but then he also doesn't realize the pattern that emerges from actually staring at these things side by side. So like when he chastises like, um, you know the his not ex wife, but uh, the uh, the mother the mother of his child, his ex girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Yes, his ex. When he chastises her for being a horrible mother, he's absolutely correct. Like she's a you know. Social services probably should have been called, but then he's also standing there doing absolutely nothing, which is just, if not worse, except telling her that well, someday someone's going to call me and tell me that they've taken care of the problem, and that's how I'll know that you'll be dead. Right? And like, whoa, yeah. And you know, and that's the thing is that he can like say he can point out flaws in a system, and yet he can never see his own, and that was his biggest downfall. He's poorly made. Yeah. You know, in a way, he's 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 like a closed circuit. He, uh, <laughs> Toussaint, why yeah, don't why? you go into more? All right. Sorry. So, Let's also mention, by the way, too, that Toussaint had no interest in seeing this film. I had, yeah, Toussaint. I had no – I I have no um, – I, I have no shame in saying that I had no interest in seeing this film. I well, actually, you should have I actually uh, approached it with a lot of trepidation just because, one um, – and this is probably short-sighted on my part. We already talked about this before the podcast. Like when the original, not not the original, but the the prior uh, Jobs Jobs film with Ashton Kutcher came out. I tried watching that, and I only got twenty minutes in, and I had to shut it off because I just I got so tired and so exhausted with how slavishly it tried to like paint him as as a as a messianic figure when it comes to like like computing. And I just thought that that was absolute bullshit, but. I want to start out like talking about something that I really enjoyed just from the, the get-go of this film, and that was the use of archival footage from a BBC documentary where it opened up with Arthur C. Clarke, who you may not know, like he was a very prominent like futurist, and you probably better know him as the co-writer of 2001 A Space Odyssey, and he's talking about how... The film or the movie? I mean, the film or the book? He wrote the book, and he also wrote, the, he? wrote okay. the movie. I yeah. just didn't know if Kubrick wrote his own or something. Oh, no, they're, okay. they're, they collaborated very closely on okay. that. And he's just like talking about how integral um, computing is going to be in like the next century, like when this kid like grows up. And he's just like, people are going to be able to work with one another from all across the world. And we'd see that that's... like I feel like 
those kinds of predictions are like what you should be really paying attention to instead of just like the idea of the the, the shininess of a Mac or anything like that. But whatever. I thought that the portrayal of Steve Jobs in this film was awesome, mostly because maybe it might have aligned with my own like present biases about Steve Jobs and that I saw like Michael Fassbender portraying this character as this blunt-headed, vainglorious bastard and I just thought that was really cool, but also like as the film goes on, like he just seems like such a cipher in general. Like there's so many clashing and contradictory like levels to this person that I can't outright dis- I can't outright hate them. I I dislike them, but I also kind of empathize and kind yeah. of like feel sympathy for them in the same way because it just sure. seems like their own neuroses are just like turning in on one another and that that might be the crux of his success but it's also the downfall not necessarily like on a professional level but on a on a personal level kind of kind of like erects a wall between him and the people that like really care about him that he yeah. really cares about but he just doesn't know how to he this is a guy who who the character names his first computer after his his daughter, his his supposedly illegitimate daughter that he doesn't really acknowledge at first, but he's too proud to 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 acknowledge that, and so he just comes up with like a backronym in order to justify why that is is called what it is, and he's only able to acknowledge that until like the very end. It's like that's so right, and not even the very end, but like. Basically, the very moment that you know he could lose her forever. Yeah. So it's not until he's backed into this corner of mm-hmm. like, if I don't show if I, somebody else how I feel about them, then they have no reason. Well, to and feel also he would way. not have gotten to this decision on his own too. No, no. It takes Andy, and it also takes Kate Winslet's character, pretty much telling him that I'm going to leave and not be your right hand person mm-hmm. if you don't do this. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I really quickly I want to bring up one of the best uses like as far as like why Sorkin was the right person to write this particular script is that through Sorkin's intense use of callbacks which he just absolutely loves that actually became a strength of the script not just because it's clever it's like oh what they're referencing that conversation they had that one time but it worked for the way that the film was made it it did and because of the fact that it it it, it almost gave it more pathos that way because when we get to the third scene in 1998, I believe it's the year, um, and he's still fixating on uh, like time of the year uh, or man of the year of a, the Time magazine cover, or he's still fixating on... Um, I should be on that fucking cover, not a fucking like statue of a PC. Yeah. They made that drawing three months before. There's no way they could have done it because of that. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like... What, um, or even... I forgot what I was going to say, but there was another... Never mind, I forgot. Uh, okay. No, no, I just I, it blanked out of my mind. But mm. there was a even whatever. But <laughs> uh, but no, but it's those callbacks, like the cover of Time Magazine and whatnot, that like it it becomes like I said, it, it's like laden with like pathos because that's when we start to see the extent of like how far gone Steve Jobs' the character's mind is, as far as getting stuck in these trivial details that you know get in the way of him like connecting with others because mm-hmm. it's it's 10 years later and he's still having the same conversations with himself in his head right. and doesn't realize that that's what's blocking out all the noise he should actually be hearing. However, I, I think that the Steve Jobs character and, and, and the person in general, uh, especially how it's portrayed in the film, uh, just for some reason has a, such a hard time struggling with small details early on in the, in the film and struggling with 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 
how that progresses in his life and, and just keeps fixating on them, as you mentioned, Nick, but also just struggling uh, with that. But at the same time, I feel like in terms of like the broad scope, I feel like that is something that we, we see from him that is totally true to to real real life, I feel like at least, that he has this vision in saying, no, we're, we're all thinking about this as a company and we're thinking about the past. We're thinking about Apple II. We're thinking about this. We have to stop thinking about that and thinking about what the actual future is going to be, which I feel like is why that first scene is so important mm. of saying, this is what this is now. And we're looking at these huge ass computers in here right now. And it's hard to, I know it's hard to visualize what the future is going to be in 30 years, but we need to stop thinking about this as this and think about what it's going to be. And yet that's also exactly speaks to what, what is fatal flaw is because that's not like, it's like everybody in the room pretty much agrees with that, you know, line of thinking, but that's not what they're asking. They're not asking him to like put up a shrine to outdated technology. They're asking him to be a decent human being, right? you know, by acknowledging the Apple II team, like we hear him and Steve argue about uh, twice. Time. In his mind, the the two are one and the same. For some reason, he just can't reconcile right. that. Was, yeah, what were you gonna say? But I, I thought that that Michael Fassbender really like accurately, like not accurately, but but awesomely was able to encompass who this character was, and I really enjoyed that. But for me, the real draw of this film was the supporting actors. Like I really enjoyed Jeff Dan- Daniels. Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, Kate Winslet. But really. The star for me was Seth Rogen. I did not expect to go into this because, like the 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 entire like through line between these these three different eras, where it's like 1984, and it's uh, 1988, 1988, and then it's 1998. Yeah. Um, the the whole argument or the, or or the kind of like back and forth between them about acknowledging the Apple II team, I can tell that that really matters to to Wozniak as, as, as the character because. The company is more than just Steve Jobs. It's also the people who like make it happen. Like at the beginning, who actually contribute something. Who, who, actually, who actually contribute something. And 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 when the film opens up and there's like we can't get the fucking thing to say hello, and they're just like giving Andy Hertzfeld like the 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 rack for 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 trying to like get this together, and it's just like if you don't get this working that I'm going to humiliate you in front of all these people. Guess what? You have a one out of, out of six chance of, of surviving. No, you have like a, a, a what is it? A, he said it's a, a five, out, time of, five he, out of six would... chance of like surviving Russian roulette. I'm going to let you like take more bullets out of that gun. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, I, I think that his clash with, with jobs in the, the second act when they're talking about the whole orchestra or whatever, it's like, you know, you play... Him and Steve Wozniak, not him and Andy. Him and Wozniak, yeah. yeah. It's, like when it's like, you know, you play an instrument, I conduct the orchestra, and it's like, I'll give you a pass. And he's just like, who are you to give me a pass? Right. Who gets... Who, like, how are you the person to give me a pass for all that you've done? Like, I thought that was like... That was my personal favorite scene in the film, yeah. was their conversation during the... Basically, the whole second act is glorious. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's the strongest, like, scene out of all three, personally. Yeah. Um, but I just was really glad, because as somebody who... I mean, I didn't know a lot about Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. but I, I, I was wondering if, at the very least, would they acknowledge... The, basically, dismantle the biggest myth about Steve Jobs 
wrong, which mm. is that he did not create, like, you know, he's not a builder, he's not a software engineer, like, all the things that you think he would do if his face right. is on the... He knows a lot more than the common person does, but, yeah, but he is right. not the guy who built it. He's, he's a just the guy who, you know, figures out what we can't. And right. and where that comes into play is in the first act, one of my favorite scenes, uh, is when he lets Lisa um, get on the computer and whatever. And he his instructions are so simple. It's you use this, you point and click and whatever. And then the thing he says after that is all he needs to say to her to like basically teach her how to use it, which is you can do anything you want to it. You cannot break it, you know. And like that's all you – because of course when computers are new to you, like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you think that you could do something like that. But, you know, we, we don't realize that that's not – true like you know we 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 can do whatever we want and then when she starts messing with it he leaves the room whatever and he comes back in and then he answers his uh the mother of his child's question that she he had asked her previous or she had asked him he'll give her money and allow her to like enroll in a in a better school system or something like that the the question being (laughs) sorry the question being what are people going to do with it and then he turns the computer around and he goes that and what he's pointing to is essentially nothing is she was just doodling on you know um uh, macintosh paint Mm -hmm. but that is that's where he actually is thinking about these things in a way that nobody else uh you know does which is it doesn't matter what the fuck anybody's going to do with it. They're going to sit in front of it and they're going to do whatever the hell they want to do with it, mm-hmm. even if it does nothing. Because he knew that that's what would basically create the longevity of like computers in general, which is true. I I, I stare at my phone like ten times a day, and am I really ever doing anything with it? What you know? In theory, I'd like to think so, but mm-hmm. it's it's just white noise at a certain point. Well, and you're yeah. you're you're looking up information, which. You, you wouldn't have, which it, it again goes back to that amazing first first scene that you you were talking about before Tucson. But yeah, at, this, at, this, at that same point, um, really all you're doing is looking at a computer screen and spending time in front of this machine that you just right. paid for. What I, I wanted to mention about that is something that I actually really enjoyed, and not that I didn't see it coming or anything like that. But the the use of that in the final scene, then, which. I guess was a little a little sappy. Yeah, uh, but, the only, but that was definitely a Sorkin thing. But however, I will say though, um, what what I I genuinely loved about that final part of the final scene where he he shows her the drawing of of this, I feel like that is so important for what the computer and for what he was doing is is at, at a very small level of something that she was just doodling randomly on a computer screen 14 years prior of of this. And here he is 14 years later walking up, just walked out of his dressing room office, whatever, with a printed copy of what she had done later. And the, the importance of when you, before the computer, before the internet, that we really just don't have a way to save something that we would, we would do. Like it can just get lost in time where there is just endless things of me saying, I remember what you did, or I remember what and it could be for good or for bad. But at the same time, I feel like that was a nice ending to the film, not just to close that loop of that storyline, but at the same time, also explaining a, a lot of the purpose of what they were doing in general of trying to make the computer and also uh, just, 
that kind of technology more prevalent in, in the lives of people and actually serving a purpose. Yeah. I, I will say for my taste, that was a bridge too far when he takes it out of his pocket mm-hmm. and gives it to her. I almost, it's not so much that I didn't want to see it return because I always knew it would the minute he, yeah, sure. he does, you know, Apple save, but um, I almost would have preferred it to come out in a more organic way where like they had already kind of patched things up and that's why she comes back obviously. So it's not so much that he needs to do it for a story beat, but I almost would have preferred if somehow she would have saw it without him knowing because then like I don't want to believe that not I don't want to believe but I don't want to go with like the fact that Steve Jobs is a changed person and now he's completely he's an open circuit so to speak or something like that <laughs> he'll just take out arts and crafts projects from 10 years ago that he carries around in his pocket I almost wished like for some weird reason I don't know why I thought this was going to happen but in the third scene when um earlier than that scene when they're in the uh like his dressing room kind of so to speak and kate Winslet freaks out at him you know and because she wants him to go make things up with his uh daughter right and she throws all the papers on the floor for some weird reason i thought maybe it was gonna be one of those papers when they were picking it up and that would have been all the acknowledgement i needed as far as the payoff to that which is like of course he's always thought about that day and whatever but like him it was just a bridge too far for me for, for him to take it out of his pocket and like give it to her like look I'm the flyest motherfucking dad out here and then just like walk out and mic drop you know in front of his new uh, product launch but I, I do agree in the sense that it is a in general that scene like him walking out there and uh, her you know seeing him do whatever that is a it's very like I have problems with it and yet I'm still like overwhelmed by like watching that scene play out as 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 it be in the final note of the movie especially when you take the real world context of knowing how this story will end you know 10 years later right um, we also see something that I absolutely love in this film and really uh, the, the major involvement is it is between Steve Jobs and, and his daughter Lisa where I, I think the the thing I love about the structure of this film Almost not not necessarily the most, but something that I just absolutely adore even about it is that we have Steve in his very very bad relationship with his daughter uh, and and her mother early on in the film, which with the mother continues, and she's pretty much painted to be a, a real problem, even though he thinks so. We are led to believe also that she she is she does have other issues going on. Uh, however, though, I love that we have this really strained relationship and he's not even willing to call her his daughter. He doesn't even like really say her name when she's in the room. He's like saying everything against what he's talking about that. I didn't name it Lisa because of you. And then we start the next scene and obviously their relationship has progressed and it's not like hit over the head to the audience of, well, you know, over these years, this happened with them and they approved the relationship. They just did because that's what happened in between this. And I love that, this film doesn't try to go over the top telling the audience, well, they improve their relationship. It just happens because that's what happened in between there. And I, I mean, maybe I'm just like thinking that this is great because I've been just led astray too many times with screenwriters thinking that the audience is stupid and having to do things to fill the gaps of time. But man, <laughs> I just love that. No, for sure. I, it, it, it does a lot with like not actually filling in the gaps because the script itself is self-explanatory by the very nature of like how these performances are bouncing off of each other and uh, you know just how they like just a simple 
the way that they're interacting with each other. We don't need someone to say, wow, Steve has really grown as a person, hasn't he? Which, A, isn't even really true, because, like, in the, in the second act, the way he treats his daughter is, like, marginally better, but mm-hmm. he's also still this asshole who, right. like, can't actually, once again, I bring up the word myopic, you know, can't see outside of his own purview that to actually address, like, what real problems could he, be happening. He needs to be told how to say something to make it seem like he's interested in anything right. that's happening with her life. Yes. And I also, I don't know if it's just me, but like I, for me personally, the, the worst thing he ever did in the movie as a character comes in the second act, which is basically the moment that the daughter comes to him and says, I, I want to, I want to live with you instead. And he just, lets her go and we know how that played out because we know 10 years down the line that never came to fruition uh like that's the moment that i like he was basically you could be flawed and a decent person and you know just like when steve says you could be a genius and a you know a good person um but like it's not binary and that's when he was making these choices selfishly and not just because he couldn't like see past his own you know uh own problems, so to speak, mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter how much it might be tied into his own uh, personal backstory, because we, that's another thing that we haven't really even brought up at all, but his whole struggle with the concept that he was adopted, and what that means to him, and how, that's actually what I was talking about earlier, when I was okay. saying the use of callbacks and whatnot, and how he keeps bringing up that conversation about how, you know, like, he didn't have, well, not him, but he said, like, you don't have control when you're adopted, and um, Jeff Daniels' character, John Scully, rightly points out, babies don't have control, it's, it's not a, a thing, it's not like somebody gave you back and, you know, whatever, uh, but it doesn't matter how much that might be fueling his behavior of how he treats his daughter, because at a certain point you either learn from it or you repeat those mistakes yeah. because you're that much of a coward, which is of course what the daughter says to him as much of the third act. But that was, I also uh, absolutely love uh, the comment about uh, the, the computer looking like uh, Judy Jetson's um, easy bake oven. Easy bake yeah, oven. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, that was absolutely good. terrific. That, that was, was on point. <laughs> On fleek. Speaking of uh, of lines Nick. like that, there were a lot of them in this film, and I don't want to like go over like single ones or whatever like that. But there are so many witty, great remarks that were delivered pretty much flawlessly, and also with other things that were happening at the same time. Uh, my favorite probably being uh, when Steve is obsessing over the fact that he needs a shirt with a pocket in it during the uh, during the first act because mm. he wants to put the floppy disk in it so he can take it easily out of there and show, oh, look, you can store this shit right here because, you know, floppy disks are relevant in modern times now. <laughs> but when he's he's explaining that and he's putting his shirt back on, well, the action of it, and he, he's talking about uh, God and has a great comment about it. And I, I don't want to do it injustice because I'm not going to say it correctly, but... The, the way he delivered it in saying, uh, talking about Jesus. When he said that God sent his only son to repent for his sins, but we still like him anyway because he made trees. Yeah, and, you know, like that, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that was good. And it was just the way he delivered it and the, the action of him turning around, looking at Kate Winslet, having yeah. a asshole smirk, and then sticking the floppy disk in his shirt at the same exact time. Yes. Just the, the way that this film played out with every beat my, was just so great. My biggest laugh actually came just minutes prior to that, which was when he's talking with Hertzfeld in the hall and he's getting him to go back to the Hello program and get it working. And he says something like, God created the world in seven days. Well, you have to I, tell I, us you, you did some time. Yes. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I wanted to say it. Sorry. Well, apparently you did. Apparently you did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What now? 
Is there, I mean, is there anything left to say? Yeah, I, 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 re- I really, uh, I'm not so sure. If, uh, I've, I've said how much I love this film. There are obviously smaller details that I could go in more involved in, but that we're just talking about small little details of the film, which um, I... What? Nothing. What is your deal, man? Nothing. Yeah, Tucson, what is your deal? Yeah, why didn't you just talk over me while you were doing that? I mean, I'm come sorry. On, you could have done it. I apologize, okay, Nate. Wait, I got Tucson in trouble just now because yeah. I, I was flicking him off. Uh, yeah. That's what he was reacting to. Yeah. I was going to like basically throw him under the bus, but now I feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's anyway, okay. you can cut that out. <laughs> nah, I don't think we will. So I guess we'll go to final ratings then. I think we've all said our piece, and uh, even though there's more we could probably get into, um, I think we've said what needs to be said, and we have our feelings out there, and uh, let's let's close the loop, I guess. Keep it closed circuit here. Uh-huh. It's nah. like the machine is a metaphor for the man. Yeah. Uh, if if it hasn't already been clear, I thought this film was absolutely terrific, and what? I uh, I would even go as far as uh, to say that this may and I, I, before I like definitely say it, I want to see it again. But this definitely has masterpiece potential, in my personal opinion. I absolutely love this film, and it's my second perfect rating of the year of a five out of five behind Furious Seven. Uh, no, well, Furious 7 started there, and then I knocked it off because I, I came back down to That's Earth okay. on it. Still four and a half, though. It's a really it's, good movie. It's a great movie. I was just... But uh, your balls. this and that's totally fine. It was well deserved. Uh, this and Inside Out uh, for me so far this year, uh, two absolutely perfect films, and I love them very much. And I had a hard time deciding which one I liked more, and I eventually went with Steve Jobs just because I gravitate a little more probably towards the content of this film uh, than than Inside Out, which is somewhat of a children's film. But at the same time, Steve Jobs is just such a great film throughout. And it just never slows down. It always delivers. And every time that I thought that this like story would not be interesting, dialogue would be a little boring. It just keeps ramping up and keep get delivering on the same wavelength and never having highs or lows. There were some highs, but very, very few lows, if any. And I love this film throughout, and I just want to go see it again right away. That's why and, I, I saw it twice, because yeah. I saw it two weeks ago, and then I was like, hey, Alex, when you go, uh, let me know, because I want to see it again. And, man, I, I, I really do want to go see this again. And it's really unfortunate that this did so poorly at the box office that it's not going to be in the theater again past this week, because <laughs> it's just a great film, and I, I just wish more people would go to see it. And, and to say something that I, I'm not going to completely disagree because i do think that the superimposing uh was a little bit over the top and wasn't really necessary but i i do think I mean, danny boy throws the bob dylan lyrics on the ground yeah. for no real reason God. It, 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 the reason why i just want to point one more thing out is that i i literally when i watch that there's a good split second to like five seconds where i actually don't understand what is happening because they're in presentation hall so i'm yeah. like is somebody shining these lyrics down like in the movie's universe and if i have to think that hard about you know what's supposed to just be like you know visual effects to like Whatever, then you've already failed. I'm okay. Danny Boyle. I'm making the movie. <laughs> Look at me. I'm Mr. Basics. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway. But at but, other points, yes. I feel like his direction really did bring something to the table more than I think you were leading on to earlier, Nick. For me personally, because I think he did a it did a nice job here with this film, and um, you know there is something to be said to everything working out with the script, with the actors. 
uh, with the lighting, with a lot of the scenery, with the blocking of the scenes. Uh, a lot of that doesn't work to a crispness that it did without the director. And I, I feel like for that, uh, he was it did a good job kind of being the, the top person for this film. I'll end on this. I feel like when uh, Steve Jobs and uh, the the journalist, who was a, a person who was created just for this film, as you mentioned to me, Nick, uh, are walking through the hallway uh, during the third uh, part of this film, and Alan Turing is on the wall, and the journalist goes, oh, who is that? And Steve has explained that's Alan Turing. He basically won the Second World War, and he was part of our campaign, and we've just decided that we're not going to use him anymore because you have no idea who it is. Yeah. Which I feel like... There was so many like little parts of this film that I feel like Jobs, in the film at least, uh, he takes from what other people are saying and sort of brings that back into some, even if it's not necessarily true, but kind of what he's saying. And even the thing with the floppy disk, like seeing what somebody else was doing and utilizing that in a different way to benefit him. I just feel like it's interesting because he's taking off of what other people are doing and using that. Even if he puts on this persona of being a genius and being this, this, this orchestra player and being this conductor at the same time, he's taking a lot from what other people are saying and bringing that into what he is doing. And I feel like that's something that is oblivious to anybody else's contributions. Right. But he's subtly showing and the film is subtly showing that he is using what other people are bringing to the table. Even if it's for his different purpose, he's still using what other people are saying and aware of that, even if he's not necessarily aware of that. So I thought that was great and I I really liked it and I got a kick out of it. And I love this film. We even get a, just going off of what you're saying, we even get a subtle reference to, to the future by that. I mean, like, post-1998, when he says why he killed uh, uh, John Scully's Newton, and he said it was a stylist. People aren't going to... You can't use your other five. Yeah. You know, whatever. Which, of course, we know what happened in that, uh, you know, realm and mm-hmm. with the iPhone and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was kind of a clever little thing. And we do get a, a pretty... pretty uh blatant pretty blatant reference north. to the ipod yeah. then. <laughs> i'm gonna put a thousand songs in your pocket uh, 500, 500 yeah. <laughs> somewhere in between there yeah. yeah love this film michael fassbender was fantastic uh kate winslet's accent was not consistent which was uh, <laughs> definitely something that i would say was a little bit weird about the film but i'll let it pass because it's a great movie and i'll see it again multiple times yeah i really 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 enjoyed this movie it's like my second favorite movie of this year behind Lava, the Pixar short <laughs> film. Um, it's a contender for top six 2015. Hey, Ouch. That's right. Um, no, but I, I, I genuinely did love this movie and it's got so many things in this that I just love, whether it's just people just talking and over each other and whatnot. I, I just love movies that are based around those kind of conversations and this movie was based around you know, three revolving scenes of those kind of conversations. So I was just, I was in heaven. Right up your alley. Yeah, I was in heaven. Um, the only reason why I'm going to give this four out of five stars and not even four and a half is because of some of the things I mentioned earlier, which is it has to do with Danny Boyle's direction. I, I, I feel like what he did well in this movie, somebody else could have did yeah, just as sure. well. And then what he did bad in this movie, somebody else wouldn't have made that mistake. And I think uh, just looking at like the social network is a good example of somebody who brought their own complete unique style that enhanced the thematic material that was happening, which is, of course, David Fincher directing the social network. Can, can I just I'm, I, I hate to just jump in on uh, you, but if you do, you, do you mind if I, I say something right ahead? Um, I, what, what I will say though, wow, I'm just kidding. so mature, what I will say about Danny Boyle is that, yeah, I, I, I guess I can agree that 
perhaps what somebody else would have done. However, this is still, especially for me, a fantastic film, and he still was the director of it. So just saying that anybody else could have come in and did, I think, is a little bit harsh against him. And also at the same time, David Fincher says that he would not have directed this film if he doesn't get a salary demand. At the same time saying, I'm getting complete creative control over everything that happens in this film. Which, yeah, that is a good thing at some points to have that. But at the same time, he could have decided to do something totally different. That I, I feel like this film is absolutely fabulous. And then he does something that maybe wouldn't have been as good. So, oh, no. I'm not I, saying I wanted Fincher to direct this movie. Okay. I'm saying from, from the, the evidence states that only certain people, in my opinion, work well with a Sorkin script. So mm-hmm. we, we got the Fincher-directed Sorkin script in The Social Network, and right. I absolutely love the way that worked. Sure. I want to see somebody else than Danny Boyle. doesn't mean I need to see another Fincher movie. What I mean is that I think there are other directors that wouldn't have been as obnoxious to remind the audience that somebody was there besides Sorkin writing the script. Because mm-hmm. this movie, in my opinion, does not call for flashy direction, and yet he keeps... Uh, one-upping himself in that department. Now, it's really not as prevalent as I'm making it, so I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it's wall-to-wall or anything like that. But when it happens, it is so jarring that I can't get over the fact that it happened in the first place. And it's not it's not a one-time occurrence. He does it with the Bob D- Dylan lyrics. He does it with the space shuttle Danny, talk. you didn't have to put a space shuttle on the fucking wall. Yeah, and, and so, and like I said earlier, it's not the fact that he made this choice, but it's, it's so miscalculated that I can't actually, and I'm sure I can't be the only person who has a split second reaction of like what is happening in that it's like you know like it's so it's so stupid Um, so like therefore that's why that part fails and so therefore I'd rather have somebody else direct this I'm not saying I know who or something Mm -hmm. like that but uh, I think somebody else would have at least toned down that kind of part and just would have let the script breathe a little bit Um, the other thing as far as why I probably give it four out of five is actually something I'm only starting to realize right now which is as much as I love the Sorkinism uh, in this this script, so to speak, I don't know that it differentiated itself enough uh, outside of what I already expect from Sorkin. Because, like, uh, what you were just saying about, like, um, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, like, you know, getting things from other people or whatever, that's also the same thing he did in the the social network because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg figured out that the the big way to make his site popular is for... uh, what you call it to put a um, in a relationship status, yeah. And he got that from his, uh, you know, classmate that mm-hmm. he barely, you know, little things like that where people have a one track mind and through osmosis take other people's like you know contributions and don't realize you know where they get that it they're from. They're doing that, right? Yeah. And, it's, and that's actually like a Sorkin thing too, because okay. it's, it's, it's kind of throughout a lot of other as far as like people just kind of like playing the call game and just picking up any prize that they can, um, and that's <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that in this movie that. I think the social network in the end overcame, which is I didn't feel like I was watching just an Aaron Sorkin script. I felt like I was watching like a truly revolutionary script that had a lot of Sorkinisms in it. Like I know I keep saying that word, but there's no other real way to just indicate that I'm only talking about his style. Yeah. yeah. And there's a video literally if you Google or YouTube really Sorkinism, you'll see click play. It's like a five minute clip of everything he's ever written, like episodes of the West Wing, episodes of Sports Night, the newsroom, the social network, and you'll see the exact same phrases repeated in all the films hmm. uh, because he literally recycles his own dialogue. Um which doesn't really bother me because I love it. So it's like so far so good. If uh, it works, don't break it. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know that jobs the movie 
Steve, or Steve Jobs, I should say, not Jobs. Yeah, the, whoa. The Ashton Kutcher film. Ooh. But Steve Jobs, the movie, broke out of the Sorkin mold enough for me to consider this like a new classic. But mm-hmm. like, I felt like I was just watching like an episode of The West Wing, which is like, it's giving me exactly what I want, but it's also not something dis- uh, distinguished enough from the the creator's voice uh, than I wanted it to be. So that's probably why I give it four out of five. But like I said earlier, I, I loved it. I, it. The dialogue is amazing. The acting is phenomenal, and uh, it it just goes by so quick, and that's usually the sign of a great movie. So, yeah, for sure. Four out of five stars for me. Nice. Yeah, for a film that I had no interest in going to see whatsoever, this actually really pleasantly surprised me. Like, I, I, I walked out of the theater, like, really enjoying what I had seen, and it took a lot to, like, move me to that point, but just, like, the... The contribution from Jeff Daniels and Seth Rogen from the actual writing from Eric Aaron Sorkin. I'm not an outright fan of his writing, but I can say that he is a very talented and very, very well-honed writer. And I love the dialogue that was in this film. Danny Boyle's direction, I mean, it, it, it was what it was. I mean, I, I, I agree with you, Nick, especially like it's it's perfect except when he tries to like make it something that it's not. Yes. And I wish he wouldn't do that. Just stop getting in the way of the film. Yeah, <laughs> just, those are the kind of things that just like, sit in your chair and drink your coffee yeah. and just like point the camera where we tell you to point say it. Okay. Action. Yeah. Just, just, just say that word. Just say, just, just think the Apple II team. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, <Yes>. But <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have to to say that this is probably one of the most enjoyable films that I've seen this year in theaters. And I'm going to have to echo uh, Nick's sentiment and give it a four out of five. Another addition to the hit list. Yeah. All right. Go us. We did it. It deserves it. We did it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, You guys weren't weren't quite as high as me, but we all had had really high praises for Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably going to, by the time this comes out, it will be out of most of the theaters. So uh, you'll have to wait till it comes out on Blu-ray or catch it on uh, video on demand. Yeah. Something like that. But Netflix, what a, what a fabulous film. And uh, I I really can't say much more about it, that it was just a a fantastic film that I, uh, and I I think in terms of uh, adapted screenplay and best leading actor and, and even possibly best picture, this will be a, a contender when it comes to award season. Yep. Yep. In fact, actually, now that you say that, it means that it probably has a good chance of returning to theaters because, yeah. you know, come like, you know, they always release some of the bigger movies uh, right. if they were released back in like October and not like December or whatever. And I think because nobody saw it the first time, they, they very well might go back to this well. Hopefully. I, I may go back to it as well. Yeah. So on uh, episode 39 coming up next week, uh, we will be talking about the new James Bond film Spectre. 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 <laughs> And uh, if you have uh, had a chance to see it before uh, the episode and we pull record it and you wanted to uh, pass your thoughts along to us, you can feel free to do so uh, at filmtankshow at gmail.com. That's where you can email us. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at filmtankshow. And if you want to listen to all of our episodes, you can find them on filmtankshow.com. And you can also find them on iTunes and Stitcher as well. So from Nick Cheney to Sant Egan, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time. Goodbye.